Well, greetings and welcome to this episode of Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, the, the uh, president, founder of the Coming Home Network, and I'm joined by my son and uh, chief operating officer of the Coming Home Network, John Mark. Hello, John Mark. Hey, Dad. How are you doing today? Good, 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 good. Yeah. Thank you for joining me as we slowly take one short step forward as we analyze this treatise by Cyprian. Most people read this because it, it appeared in the Office of Readings one day, and usually you read it one day and you move on to the next. But we've decided yeah. uh, one word at a time. <laughs> and never has such a slow journey yielded so much fruit. I'm, in, I'm loving it. I'm enjoying it. Well, you know, sometimes when you slow down and really think about why Cyprian, for example, said these things, it makes you realize that there are things that we just take for granted, we skip over in life. And, and the part of the list that Cyprian is addressing today, I think, is one of those issues that on the surface, on the one hand, it seems simple enough. But on the other, when you truly look at it, you're actually touching, if you will, a very touchy part of history. A requirement of our Lord Jesus as a part of the gospel that has never been easily practiced amongst Christians or agreed upon to what extent. Uh, right. to carry it out, to take it seriously. And we can talk about that in the big scope, which would be just war theory, hmm. or on the shorter scope, when a person looks you in the face and slaps you on the cheek, what do you do? What do you right. do? Um, or if somebody wrongs you in this world, do you take them to court? Uh, or so it's the big issues and yeah. we're not going to cover all those. Hmm. We're coming in the context of the Lord's prayer in which Cyprian is to that phrase, thy will be done. And he talked about the import, the, the key is understanding. It's not so much that we were expecting God's will to be done because it does get done is that it needs to be done in our life. Right. And what stands in the way of, allowing the will of God to be done in our life the way God wants it to be done. God's will will be done. And if we, if we disobey him, his will will be done. So we want right. it to be done the way that's pleasing in his eyes. Yeah. So Cyprian gets a long list of things that help us know what God's will is, to be receptive of that, and then to... Uh, equip us to carry that out. And we've gone through a number of those over the past weeks. And if you haven't listened, go back to the other episodes. But we have progressed now to these phrases. Last week, we talked about discipline. This week, it is two things which we bring together because of their connectivity. Refusal to harm others and a readiness to suffer harm. Refusal to harm others and a readiness to suffer harm. Now, John Mark, on the surface, that sounds simple enough. Right. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, what's, what's so interesting about 
this list and about the new many aspects of the New Testament is there's just these layers, these levels. You know, the the Lord is a master surgeon. He kind of gets into our hearts and he starts to pick things apart. He starts to to make incisions. Um, and to some degree, you know, a lot of the things we've looked on this list, like justice and discipline, um, modesty in conversation, those kinds of things. To some degree, those, I mean, those are, as we've talked about, a lot of the classical virtues, cardinal virtues, different virtues, you know, appended to the, the cardinal virtues. But what's interesting about the cardinal virtues, those those classically human virtues, is those are still to some degree within our power as humans to practice and to pursue, but they also can kind of still coincide with a deep-seated pride and egoism that we carry with us throughout our whole life. We can still, we can do all those virtues but still have our end goal for for me to have a good and comfortable and and uh, you know an orderly life. But there are then these spots in the New Testament where the Lord says, okay, on top of that, kind of like last week with the uh, the rich young ruler, he's calling us out even beyond that. That now there's there's no place to hide anymore. That this is calling us beyond um, what's strictly reasonable in this world in terms of this life and our comfort and our prosperity in this life and even our our ability to get along in this life. He's calling us beyond that uh, into into true charity and then, you know, uh, fleshing out what that really looks like. What that That's God's will and how would that look like in my life? Yeah, when we discern God's will, we might be asking, what do you want me to who do you want me to marry or what do you want me to do with my life or what kind of career? Right. And like in the rich young ruler, Jesus says, well, time out. We got to go back to the beginning. There's some things yeah. that we all know we must do. Right. Well, the truth is what we talk about today is a part of that list. Yeah. Refusal to harm others and a readiness to suffer harm. It's one of the biggest things they found puzzling about our Lord Jesus when he was tried and he wasn't guilty but he let it happen. Right. He went to the cross. He could have called down his angels and he let it happen. Mm -hmm. And what does he say from the cross? Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. What does the first martyr say when he allows himself to be killed? Mm -hmm. Lord, forgive them. That's what Stephen said. We see this in the lives of the martyrs in the first 200 years, 300 years of the church, all the... Refuse to harm others and a readiness to suffer harm. That's the translation that's in the Liturgy of the Hours. Dr. Howell says, Do, doing no injury and being able to tolerate injuries done to us. The fathers of the early church translation says, not to know how to do an injury and to be able to hear, to, excuse me, to be able to bear one done. Th those are two sides of it, not, not reacting back and then receiving. This is tough. Yeah. And it's tough because uh, for a number of reasons, not just the fact that it, it hurts, you know, to turn the other cheek and all that, but that in the eyes of the world, it's foolish, right? I mean, that's part of the issue with, with Christ, uh, you know, allowing himself to be killed is that... With his disciples, sometimes we question, well, what's the point here? What's this going to accomplish? You know, um, and that's where Christ calls us beyond to see this larger picture of love. If if this life really isn't about this life, but about the bigger picture even beyond this life, this is about not a finite game, but an eternal uh, plan and a game and a 
and a, a destiny, then love takes on a whole bigger picture. Yeah, there's so many verses we can pull together in this actually. Uh, I mean, they come to mind. One of one that comes to mind is, Revengeance is mine, saith the Lord. That's right. an Old Testament assumption that's part of the bricks and mortar of the foundation of this statement by Christ. Revengeance right. is mine, saith the Lord. Well, how do you, what does that mean? And then how does that affect our lives? Well, that's what Christ was trying to say in his Sermon on the Mount. And so, as we've done in the past, we've thrown together a bunch of scriptures because of time. Let's kind of read through them, John Mark, and then make reflections as we move forward to get the whole picture of how do we flesh this out. And like right. I said, it really comes in the Sermon on the Mount. Let me read the first one, which is, and these are three, the three sections which John Mark and I will read are places where John Mark, I mean, excuse me, where Jesus says, you've heard it said this, but. Right. These are, you've heard it, but. Yeah. Three of them in a row. And these are part of our Lord helping his audience understand the deep, true meaning of the law that they've been trying to live their lives under. So in Matthew 5, 21. He says, you have heard that it was said to the men of old, you shall not kill, and whoever kills shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother shall be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, shall be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Make friends quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out to have paid the last penny. Well, there's much in that paragraph, but, but what he's saying is, it seems obvious, uh, and even as I talk, I, I don't want to come across like I'm trying to explain to all of you out there what you should have known and you don't know, but I'm going to give you the truth. That, no, it's not so much that. If we look at this together, we see the reality of it, that not killing is not merely that simple act, but it's much deeper. It deals with our anger. It deals with our words, insults, and then Whoever says, you fool, that's a, he's really getting at the, uh, the unfair, critical judgment of a person, lifting ourselves up above someone. And he says, all that's wrong. Don't do it. In fact, he even goes on to say that make sure your worship you deal with this first because yeah. you stand before God in worship with a heart that's impure. Get it pure first. Take care of it. Right. Yeah, I, I love these. You, know, you have heard it said, but, you know, the, the, this, again, this, this winnowing process between you know, maybe what we understood, but what's the deeper, what's the, what's the deeper, uh, more challenging aspect of it? Um, and I, I love the distinction that begins to be made here between, again, the external and the internal. Um, 
that um, it, you could look at, you know, a refusal to harm others and a readiness to suffer harm. And still, it's, it's funny to imagine, but I, I don't think it's that incredible. I think it ha- happens to us all the time to think of those sorts of things and still think of them in relation to myself and my own pride and my own ego. Well, so yeah, I, I'm not the sort of person who, who will hit back or get revenge. But I still may be inwardly may have scorn and contempt for my fellow man. I may be, I may, you know, choose to take the lower place or to do the humble thing. We've already covered humility in an earlier episode. But it's still possible to do that where my me is still the point. And 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 Jesus gets in here and, and drives it deeper, deeper into your heart. What's really going on there? What's in your heart? Is it about you still? Or is it about God and neighbor? Yeah. Yeah, this this really calls for, as the great spiritual writers throughout the ages of the church have called for a much deeper purgation yeah. of what's happening inside. It's not merely the outside, cleaning up the outside. It's a deeper uh, purgation right. of, of our deep being growing in grace. All right, John Mark. Well, actually, before we go on, just, I mean, the, you, you mentioned purgation here, and uh, just as a... Uh, that that verse always makes me think of, of purgatory. Yeah, you know the the Catholic uh, notion of purgatory. Because the the point being, um, and not to get into that can of worms or that doctrine, but the point is here: like we don't we're not gonna we don't wait to some other time to to deal with that stuff. Like today is the day, you know, today is the day to begin dealing with that crap in my heart because it's going to be dealt with one way or the other, now or <laughs> later or maybe after I'm dead and and by God's mercy I'm admitted into eternal life still there's something's got to happen to my heart and so best best for it to begin the day that i i start cleaning it out yeah once again we don't want to open that can of worms first yeah. corinthians 13 talks about it depends on what you've built upon the foundation yeah and you'll go through purging it says and all that stuff has got to be purged away and he says you'll be the person will be saved but everything's burned away so in this case you're going to be there maybe a long time until it's all purged until the last penny and so, Lord, help me deal with all the junk that's in here. Okay, John. Okay. So next we have Matthew 5, 38 through 42. You have heard, it, heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist one who is evil. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your coat, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to him who begs from you, and do not refuse him who would borrow from you. So, and once again, building building with these, you have heard it said, but this this deepening of these. Um, again, what comes to mind for me in particular is this trying to get rid of all the ways that we might remain um, kind of safe, self, self-focused. Because in all these, still the, the point isn't to suffer for suffering's sake. It's not to receive harm for harm's sake. No, what's the, the point in all those? The point is, is love. The point is we're turning outward toward God, toward our neighbor. Um, and that even these situations of injury, these situations of difficulty, these situations of inconvenience, because more often than not, that's what we experience rather than true persecution or anything. Even those are opportunities for us to turn outward and say yes to to love, to God. This is probably one of the more difficult passages of the Sermon on the Mount for Christians right. throughout the ages. 
It's interesting because if you look at it through the eyes of St. John Henry Cardinal Newman and his idea of development, which is the idea that there was an acorn, a truth that was an acorn during the apostolic deposit in early church grew to an oak as through the ages the church clarifies, if you will. Uh, so when you look at this, you want to ask, well, is this a development Jesus did? Because this is truly, whereas the the... The, the first section we looked at, don't kill but deal with anger, is a development, if you will, of that law. Hmm. This is totally radically different, which has made it difficult. Because the eye for an eye, tooth for tooth is saying, I've got a right to retribution. Hmm. You know, you take my eye out, i got a right to take your eye out. Hmm. You cut my arm out, i got a right to cut your off. There we go. i got a right to do that. Jesus saying... Not only does he say no, he's saying, I mean, this is radical. Mm -hmm. Do not resist one who is evil. How do you do that? How do you live it out? Think about what's going on in our culture today, the craziness that's happening in our streets and our cities. Do not resist one who is evil. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Yeah, you know, it connects a, a bit to what we were talking about a couple episodes with the justice and acts, mercy and deed distinction too, in the sense that, um, again, there's a there's a calling here for us to go even beyond maybe what strictly looks like justice on the surface into mercy, into uh, a, a charitable a love that is kind of beyond us in some sense. But it's still based on justice. Justice is still the foundation. You know, and so like the the old expression that he refers to, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, he's referring to a sense of justice. You know, an evil has been done. Something is due as a result of that evil. But on that basis of justice, we, he wants to build something even higher, something better, something beyond. And it doesn't abolish justice because, again, as he, he still points out, uh, do not resist to one who is evil. He's not explaining away the evil. He's not saying they're not evil. If they're injuring you, it's an injury. It's a wrong. An evil has occurred. But in spite of that, or above that, beyond that, transcending that, he's calling us to a, a higher response. Yeah. The, oh, boy. Recently in the Office of Readings, we've been uh, reading from one of the earliest letters of the church by, uh, it's been attributed to Barnabas. And if, if you go read what it says in there, and a lot of that has to do with what they were trying to live out in the book of Acts. You know, don't claim anything yours. Because it came from God. That's why we share. They're all everything. And it's it's an idea of really trusting God at the deepest level of who we are. And I can tell you right now, as I as we talk about this, John Mark, I'm not lifting ourselves up as oh, perfectly. This is tough. Which is why I think in many ways throughout the history of the church, this part of the Sermon on the Mount is kind of kept on the side. The truth is. I looked. These verses aren't in the catechism. Well, you know, it, 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 do, why doesn't it de deal? It doesn't even mention the an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth, and what do you deal with it? Because it's tough. It's tough. It's in the social teaching of the church, how to live it out. Right. But this is tough. Yeah. You know, when, when a country attacks ours, what do we do? 
And the churches struggle with that, and that's where the idea of just war comes from. That there is a there is a there is a place for defending ourselves. There is a place for protecting our families. There is a place for even protecting our stuff. Mm-hmm. But how do we define it? How do we live it right. out? That's enough. And then, yeah, there's also the distinction to be made there. You know, in in some sense, you know, if I'm someone shows up to harm my family and I defend my family, I'm trying, I, mean, I should be, if, if I if I have a pure heart, which I don't, but ideally a, a, the person of a pure heart would want to stop an attack both for the sake of the people being attacked as well as for the soul of the attacker. I want to put a stop to both of those, you know, uh, to prevent uh, a grave sin committed. It's a different situation when I am personally being attacked. Then I have a whole lot of more latitude to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go a whole lot further and suffer and endure and pray for this person. Um, uh, yeah, we have the, the most <laughs> radical example of that is uh, Ignatius uh, of Antioch, who's in his seven letters. He's on his way, he's captive and on his way to Rome to martyrdom. And right. he has all kinds of places where he could tell, so stop this. He says, I'm accepting this. Yeah, Don't stand in the way. I'm accepting what's come my way. It's up yeah. to the Lord. Mm-hmm. It's up to the Lord. And uh, uh, I mean, there's so many other ways to go win this. I mean, another example, right. when you're in even Barnab- in the letter of Barnabas, he talks about, uh, you know, to not do abortions. Mm-hmm. So there we have in the, probably the late first, if not early second century, as long as we had the Didache, same thing, don't do abortion. Well, how do we interpret that today? You know, if you have a mother who's pregnant and is dying, what do you do? Well, you can't go in and kill the baby, but you do what you must to save the mother. And if in the process the baby dies, that wasn't the intended act. Right. And what's behind that? Behind that is refusal to harm others. Right. It's the foundation of that. Yeah, and I, you know, I, one thing I'd say here too, for, for especially for any listeners that are maybe look, coming in, looking at this from outside the Catholic Church, I think you'd if if you're interested in this stuff or have questions about this stuff, I think you'd be really really surprised at how much there's a rich tradition of digging deeply into the theology and the philosophy of this and Thomas and others. Um, I mean, you you'll find a lot of satisfaction for. Uh, exploring the nuances to understand this stuff um, within the, the the treasury of the tradition of the church. Yeah, and I didn't mean to say that the catechism doesn't yeah. talk about this in many different ways. I was just surprised that the very verse we're looking at yeah. aren't there. I mean, what? So it, it just I found that interesting. Let's yeah. go on to the next one because of time. And um, this is the next nest you've heard, but it's in Matthew five forty three. You've heard that it was said, "You shall love your neighbor and." Hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rays on the ju- rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you salute only your brethren, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect 
as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I, I included that last line in our quotes here because that is the context of that statement. To be perfect as your heavenly Father, perfect means this love and praying for even our enemy. I, what came to my mind as I was thinking about that was in the, I think it was in the third century of the church, there was a great plague that uh, was killing thousands in Rome. And of course, that was during a time of persecution off and on of the Christian church. And what you found was that the Roman doctors and the Roman leaders were running as fast as they could out of Rome to save themselves. But the Christians stayed, stayed to help those who were sick, loving those even who were persecuting them to be channels of God's love to them in their life, even if it meant themselves dying of the plague. And the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, is that after the plague was over, the church grew leaps and bounds. Why? Because the poor who had survived the plague said, these are the guys that stayed to help us. Their God must be real. So the way we treat others is a message about our God. Yeah. Which is the foundation of this very thing. Yeah. All right, Summer. Yeah, you know, one of the things that always comes to mind with this verse, um, uh, what a, a funny little quip from G.K. Chesterton was that our Lord calls us to love our neighbors and to love our enemies because oftentimes they're the same people. <laughs> and I think about that, especially in today's world. I, there, Actually, there's a, a part of the, I think the Screwtape Letters, Lewis's Screwtape Letters, where he talks about um, at his time, uh, where the media wasn't nearly as advanced as it was in our time, still with people reading the newspapers and listening to the wireless, the radio and all that, he was pointing out, it's interesting that we can even get into a place where we we actually hate our neighbors, but love kind of the imaginary enemies out there somewhere. So, uh, you know, that we hear many people have quipped, you know, I love humanity, but it's the people I can't stand, that kind of a thing. You know, th- this verse... It, on the one hand, it seems fantastical. Take us away from, obviously, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. He's calling us beyond that. But in, in, a, in a reverse way, it also gives us the practical um, steps forward in the sense that if we really look to the people, who is my neighbor? Well, he's the person that God has put in your life. Those people that you didn't necessarily choose, but they're there. You know, the people in your family, the people that you live beside, the people that, you know, you run into in the grocery store and the and the market. God has put those people in your lives and we often disregard them. Um, and so that's, and also the, so that loving the neighbor is then also the stepping stone for learning to love my enemy. If I love that person, the person God's in my life, then I become more and more prepared to love even the person that's difficult, even that person who's a persecutor. Um yeah, but uh, there's a, a great number of verses that form the foundation to this that we hear all the time read. We know, uh, and we quickly recite them, say them, and say, yeah, but the truth is behind these verses is this very demand of Christ. When we say love, for example, love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself— this is what Christ means, is refuse to harm others. 
and a readiness to suffer harm. That's a part of that love with our neighbor. Or in the, the, the golden rule, so whatever you wish that men would do to you, do so to them, for that is the law and the prophets. All the law and the prophets are summarized in that golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. At the core of that is a refusal to harm others and a readiness to suffer harm. All these things are, be, are the, when he said a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you love, that you also love one another by this all men will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, this is a key aspect of it, is a refusal to harm others and a readiness, a willingness even to be harmed for the sake of Christ. And that's the last of the Beatitudes. When you're persecuted, accept it. Uh, maybe one more verse, yeah, Mark, if we can. I know we're running out of time, sure. a little bit, but I'd like us to. I'd like us to keep going. Why don't you? Because this one, particularly, is contemporary. If you take all the theoretical stuff we've just talked about, well, this cuts to the core of <laughs> what's a major industry in our civilization, yeah. if you will. Sure, this is 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8. When one of you has a grievance against an, a brother, does he dare go to, the, to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more matters pertaining to this life? If then you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who are least esteemed by the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no man among you wise enough to decide between members of the brotherhood? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is, to de is defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, and that even your own brethren. Yeah, so we have, you know, getting into some of these actual concrete, practical <laughs> things that were happening in the early church, people um, uh, causing offense or defrauding one another, and then uh, going outside of the brotherhood, outside of the church to seek secular legal counsel to get restitution, to get this, this justice. Um, and, you know, what a, what a failure of witness for the church when that kind of thing happens. You know, when even, you know, it's so funny, just, you know, jumping back to the verses we just read, you know, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, what a terrible witness if we can't even love our fellow Christians, when we can't even suffer harm for them, if we can't even turn the other cheek to them, how the heck are we supposed to think that we're going to be able to, to fulfill the other demands that the Lord makes on us? Yeah, the... What's interesting, a number, number of things, of course, but what's interesting is how these seemingly simple statements by our Lord, they were hard enough when the people of his day heard them. They were hard enough. Right. But in many ways, because of the technologies uh, that have so changed our world in the last 200 years, it has made these things even more complicated uh, in ways that, you know, it, it, if somebody does something to us that harms us, 
and we get a, a call from a legal firm that says, you have you have very strong case to take that person to court, and I can get you a, a I can probably get you a, a, a reward of two million bucks for that. That's tough in today's day because we live in that soup of how to do it. We've gone beyond our time that we wanted to set, John Mark, so I'm going to mm -hmm. even go on just a little bit more because there's so much we can talk about. But I just wanted yeah. to bring this up because um, the church has affirmed the fact that sometimes our separated brethren might be better at certain things than we are as Catholics. It doesn't mean that we're bad at it, but because of the way our separated brethren have seeked, sought, excuse me, to follow the Lord, guided by the Holy Spirit, that they've emphasized certain things that maybe we need to say, Lord, maybe we need to be more like that. And for example, the church has talked about our evangelical brothers and their love for Scripture. Right. You know, Benedict has pointed that out, Pope Benedict. So lots of things. And what struck me is in this particular area, the Christian tradition that rises to the top is the Mennonite and Anabaptist. And, and they live around us here, out here on the farm. The Amish are not far down the road. And Many people wonder, well, what is it that sets the Amish and the Mennonite apart? And, of course, they're different. They've evolved over the 400 years, 500 years since they were started during the Protestant Reformation. But what was it that set them apart from the other reforming groups? And one of the issues was they didn't agree with infant baptism, so that's why they were called Anabaptists, because they believed that once you accepted Christ, then you're baptized. They saw that as a fulfillment of Scripture. But the other issue that was maybe most significant was this very issue. And they saw this issue worth dying for. And what I've, what I've pulled out is... In 1632, which you think about is about the time that the American colonies were being established, when the pilgrims were coming here in 1620, and they were escaping from not the Catholic Church, but they, were, they thought they were escaping persecution from the Anglican Church. They were the separatists from the Anglican Church. And during that 1600s, a lot of the Protestant groups that were 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 going under persecution was not from the Catholic Church as much as it was from the other Protestant churches. And in many ways, that's true of the Mennonites and the Amish. But in that time period, 1632, uh, a group of Mennonites uh, uh, put together a confession called the Dortrick Confession. You can find it online. Hmm. And it's, as Catholics, we, we would agree with almost every single thing in the, in the confession. And so we can see in that the work of the Holy Spirit. But let me read what the Mennonites and the Amish believe about revenge. Here's what it says. As regards revenge, that is to oppose an enemy with the sword, we believe and confess that the Lord Christ was, has forbidden and set aside to his disciples and followers all revenge and retaliation and commanded them to render to no one evil for evil or cursing for cursing, but to put the sword into the sheath. 
or as the prophets have predicted, to beat the swords into plowshare. From this we understand that therefore, and according to his example, we must not inflict pain, harm, or sorrow upon anyone, but seek the highest welfare and salvation of all men, and even, if necessity require it, flee for the Lord's sake from one city or country into another, and suffer the spoiling of our goods, that we must not harm anyone, And when we are smitten, rather turn the other cheek also, than take revenge or retaliate. And moreover, that we must pray for our enemies, feed and refresh them whenever they are hungry or thirsty, and thus convince them by well-doing and overcome all ignorance. Finally, that we must do good and commend ourselves to every man's conscience, and according to the law of Christ, do unto no one that which we would not have done to us. Now, in the confession, they have footnotes for every one of those statements because what they're trying to do is take the words of Christ and then live them out. And it's a real challenge in how we live. And the example of it where many of us will know that, oh, four, five, six years ago, You may have heard in the news that there was a horrible incident in an Amish community in Pennsylvania when 17 little girls were massacred in a school. When a non-Amish man went in with a gun and killed Mm -hmm. 17 little girls and made all the news. During that time that we were hearing it happening around the country, all the massacres in schools. But what so struck the public and the news and even other Christians trying to understand was that the Mennonites, I can't remember if they're Mennonite or Amish, excuse me, hmm. forgave the man right. completely, helped his family, expressed all kinds of letters of forgiveness to the family and prayed for the man. And it was an amazing example. And many people said, how could they do this? And you know what the answer of the Mennonites, Amish was? Isn't this what Christ called us to do? Wasn't special. This is what Christ called us to do. Which, the reason I bring this up is it's as if they were going all the way back to Cyprian and saying, Cyprian said it because our Lord said it. Then why aren't we saying it? And living it out. Yeah. Any thoughts on that, John Mark, before we close? Well, it just, on the one hand, it I'm, it makes me grateful for the Holy Spirit working um, even amidst our divisions. Because again, like I, I, I am the first to stand up and say that my life is impacted by what the Holy Spirit has done in, in the midst of division, you know, through you as a pastor before our family was Catholic and the many converts we've talked to, the many people on the journey, the many great witnesses. Um, so I'm so grateful for this example of the, this confession and that uh, you told that story before and it's such an impactful one. It also makes me, on the other hand, gra- grateful to be Catholic because then we we do seem to run into conundrums like obviously if we dug into many of these pieces we get into conundrums and it's easy to get carried away with the conundrums and to miss the challenge what's a good thing about being catholic is the church holds these examples up 
and sometimes even intention. You know, we've talked about that a lot, the, the both ands that the church refuses to simplify or explain away. You know, we have saints who were uh, warriors and soldiers, uh, kings, you know, people who were, who were responsible for defense and, and, and exemplified virtues of courage and attack. Um, and we also have so, so many saints who, like these uh, brave uh, Amish or Mennonite men and women, exemplified this readiness to suffer even death uh, for love of an enemy. And so in there, in holding these, these truths together, you know, we can try to navigate that path for ourselves to figure out what, what is that most challenging, otherworldly um, path that God is calling each of us to. Yeah, it's a journey. And so we see these examples both in the church as well as how the Lord has worked outside the church. And we pray, Lord, help me be more like Christ. Right. Especially when a difficult situation comes into my life. Yeah. May I have the grace to do God's will. That's what yeah. Cyprian's is all about. May have the right. grace to do God's will in this situation. And as yeah. John Pope Saint John Paul II said, I wish I could quote him directly, but he says, when we see yeah. the truth outside the church, it is a trajectory towards unity. Yeah. Because it affirms our, that there are separated brethren. Right. Because of their love for Christ, their desire to serve Christ, because of the work of grace in their life, they are separated brethren. It's sad that we have to add the word separated. It's because our trajectory is by God's grace to work towards unity. Yeah. All right. All right, John Mark, thanks for joining me today on this reflection. Thank so, you. Yeah. All, so. Always a joy and a challenge. And those of you for li listening, thank you for joining us again. We're, we're, if anything, we're just scratching the surface on all these issues that we talk about. We look forward for your thoughts and critiques or uh, comments. You can do that on the website. So once again, Thank you for joining us, and God bless. We'll join you again next week. Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. To hear more episodes, view our full archive of written and video conversion stories, participate in our online community forum, and more, visit chnetwork.org. You're also invited to explore free membership in the Coming Home Network and receive support on your own Catholic journey. Again, visit chnetwork.org for more information.